Hey Trekkies, and welcome to Trek Freaks, a part of the Geek Freak Podcast family. In this podcast, we review episodes of Star Trek starting with the original series. My name is John, and I'll be one of your hosts, joined by my good friend and co-host, Kevin. Hey. Uh, so, Kevin, uh, what episode are we going to be reviewing today? Today we are talking about the actual first episode of the original series, entitled The Man Trap. It was... Uh, Originally aired in September of 1966, and I'm excited to talk about this one. It's quite a bit different than the cage that we talked about last week. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we will be doing things a little bit differently than our last episode. Rather than recapping the entire episode and then talking about it, we're going to uh, recap and review scene by scene uh, as our audience just let us know uh, what you think about the flow, if it uh, sounds better. Yeah, also, if you haven't seen the episode yet, recommend pausing this, watching the episode, and then coming back. Yes, good call. All right, Kevin, before we get into our recap, I got a quick question for you. If you were able to pluck one piece of Star Trek technology and keep it in your everyday life, uh, you'd be the only person that has this, uh, what would you take and why? All right, so I think in my mind, there are two correct answers to this. Mm -hmm. One of them is better than the other. For me, it's a transporter. Okay. I I want a transporter, even though I did just buy a new truck. That <laughs> <laughs> seems it would seem like it was a waste of money at that point. But I would love the ability to just be anywhere and then be anywhere else instantly. I'm sure it'd take a lot of power and <laughs> a lot of techno technology stuff that I'm not sure how to do to make it work. But I think that ability would just be the best thing in the world. Yeah. Does that come with a transporter operator? Because uh, apparently those things are technical and there's always somebody standing there to push the right buttons. I feel like I could <laughs> talk Alexa into figuring it out for me. I like it. Alexa, transport me to Wendy's. <laughs> uh, that's great. What about you? I So I thought a lot about this. I wanted to choose replicators at first because replicators are pretty much endless resources. You can throw your garbage into it. It'll you know, disassemble that into matter and then you can build whatever you want out of it, right? As long as you have the res recipes. Um, so that seems, you know, you could be making gold and be rich. But for humanity's side of things, I would I would want to take back uh, warp engines because if it follows, if our timeline follows Star Trek, um, once we develop warp technology, then we, you know, meet Vulcans and are able to enter the the bigger universe and interact with aliens and all that good stuff, so... Huge advancement in human evolution or whatever. Uh, so yeah, I would totally choose warp engines. I know it would take probably another lifetime for those to be integrated into some kind of spaceship, but that would be a big step in the right direction. So I'm the guy that chose something <laughs> that would benefit myself. Yes. You're so you're selfish, Kevin. Chose something. So selfish. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I was hesitant to pick replicator. That wasn't my first choice anyway. Transporter was my first choice, but I figured replicator would be a popular answer. Mm -hmm. And the reason I didn't want to pick that is because not only would it cheapen everything that exists just by its very nature, but also seems like that would be a quite the resource hog. It would take a lot of energy, a lot of some kind of technology that we don't really fully have yet to keep it running, to keep it working. True. Well, you can use the replicator to replicate some kind of energy conversion system. You know, once you get it going, you can you can replicate replicator, right? <laughs> why are you so smart and i am the way that i am <laughs> i don't know <laughs> uh no i'm sure it's not that easy though 
And also there are things in Star Trek that can't be replicated that they've, they've mentioned before in other episodes. Um, certain foods just don't taste the same. Um, very intricate components and certain types of metal can't be replicated because of the stability or the nature of them. Living things like bugs, they, I know they replicate food and they have to use some kind of simulation to make the worms move and stuff like that. So replicators aren't perfect, gotcha. but they can make a lot of things that we're used to. So with a warp core, would you want to be, or would you make yourself the captain of whatever ship that goes on? Or how would you fit into that? Hmm. Well, I think I would, I would bring this to smart people that know what to do with it and say, Hey, just put my name on the side of the ship or something. Um, because yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it would take another lifetime of, of advancement to get a ship that's capable to utilize warp engines. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's, fair. but yeah, I mean, what was it? The Zephram Cro- Cochran is, is uh, recognized as the creator of warp travel. Just change that. It's going to be John Lawrence. Just, I'll be okay going down to history. <laughs> <No big deal. laughs> uh, yeah. But at that note, you want to get into the recap and review. It's it started off with the captain's log this time, yeah, and I love that. I like that. the cage didn't. Yeah, the cage didn't have that. It's it's a Star Trek staple now, and um, that's actually what I put on my notes is that I love it. Um, <laughs> it goes down to Kirk McCoy and some uh, some random crewman beaming down to a planet where uh, we find out that McCoy's ex is currently living. Yeah, I like they kind of joke around outside of the research facility, or whatever. Uh, Kirk hands him like some dead grass and like, hey, don't you want to bring her some flowers? That's usually what you do when you when you you know run into an old ex or something like that. It's like some dead grass is not quite flowers and it's not that kind of situation. But it was kind of funny to see them joke like that, especially because I, I mean, thinking back now, this is the first episode that aired. So you're getting a little bit of that uh, relationship between the two of them. Yeah, uh, having that Kirk and McCoy kind of banter back and forth, the relationship already established at the beginning of the show kind of gives the the audience a jump in point to see kind of more of the tone of what this show is going to be compared to. Well, I guess they wouldn't have compared it to the, the prior episode, but the tone of the show going forward and how the, the, the crew are friends and especially Kirk and McCoy, you see that that relationship throughout. It's it's really fun to see where it started off in the show. Yeah. Uh, so after this, they go into the research facility, right? And they're looking around. They're trying to find the doctor and Nancy. Uh, eventually, Nancy walks in. And uh, the, the big key part to this episode is that the three different men there see a different version of Nancy, right? Yeah. So they're all making comments about how, uh, or I guess McCoy made a comment at how Nancy hasn't aged a day. Um, it wasn't entirely clear for me at first if uh, the woman that Kirk was seeing was somebody from her past that he was trying to forget or if he did forget and just didn't know or it wasn't very clear to me at first but it was definitely clear with Darnell who was the the random crewman Mm -hmm. and McCoy that they saw specific people from their past that they had in mind when they met this woman not joking Jim she hasn't aged today there's not a gray hair in her head She's got some gray bones. Excuse me, Professor. She's a handsome woman, yes, but hardly 25. You 
you've seen my wife with the eyes of your past attachment, Doctor. I'm sure when Nancy lets... When you see her again, she'll be of a believable age. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not sure about how... Uh, they don't really specify how her ability works. But is it that these guys are each seeing somebody different or she's looking like somebody different? Can they all see the old version of her when Kirk sees her? I don't think so because they don't mention that. But it seems like something that she's choosing to do, which, I mean, we'll go into more later. Uh, but that also makes me think if, uh, you know, Darnell is seeing this cute girl and Bones is seeing his ex, is Kirk seeing a fantasy that he has? Does he like older women in that case? Or is it because maybe he's supposed to be a little bit older than Bones? Because it doesn't seem like he's much older than Bones. No, I yeah, it was it was pretty unclear to me what they were going for with what Kirk was seeing. But the thing is that they were all seeing different women. Okay, and so uh, Nancy leaves to go find her husband so that they could do their exams. Right. And uh, he arrives home while she's out looking for him. When she leaves, though, she kind of taunts crewman Darnell, who was waiting outside to follow her. Uh, so Crater gets home. They're all talking. He's reluctant and tries to sh shoo them away at first but then sits and, and goes through the exam uh, and they're all talking about Nancy until we hear a scream outside from Nancy at which point then the guys uh, they all rush outside to find her and uh, they find Nancy standing next to a dead crewman Darnell and we see that he he has uh, purple kind of purple markings on his face and it looks like as far as they can tell it looks like he ate some kind of uh, poisonous plant right then we see uh, back on the ship, uh, Bones is analyzing the body and trying to figure out what happened. Uh, Kirk is getting impatient because Bones is, isn't able to find anything. He says he's perfectly healthy. As far as I could tell, he should just stand up and walk away. Uh, later, more testing does find that the body has been depleted of salt. He has no salt in his body, which would kill you instantly, apparently. Um, they decide to head back to the planet and ask some questions of, uh, of the doctor and his wife. Though in this scene, I don't know if you noticed, it probably didn't matter to anybody else. I thought it was kind of odd, but they mentioned that the shipment uh, was going to be late and that this guy, you know, Jose said, don't worry, tell Jose he'll get his uh, chili peppers. They're prime Mexican reds. And I handpicked them myself and, you know, such and such. Do you think that was a little insensitive? And do you think they couldn't replicate chili peppers? Why are they transporting them from planet to planet? Well, I think back in the original series, the replicator didn't really exist, did it? I, they, it did, but it made these like colored cubes of food oh, or food I supplements. Yeah, you're probably. Right. I think is, but the fact that Kirk would pick them himself—that's <laughs> that kind of, yeah. The insensitivity with the the name Chili Peppers, handpicked them from Mexico. It did seem a little, a uh, little too, yeah, too on the nose for it to not be what it sounded like it was going to be. Yeah. But also. In that same scene, on a better note, I liked when uh, it's on the bridge and Uhura and Spock are talking, and it's the first time we see Uhura or Spock in this episode, and uh, Uhura tries to get a conversation going with Spock, and Spock was not having any of it. So Uhura, your last subspace log contained an error in the frequencies column. Mr. Spock, sometimes I think if I hear that word frequency once more, I'll cry. Right. I was just trying to start a conversation. 
Well, since it is illogical for a communications officer to resent the word frequency, I have no answer. No, you have an answer. I'm an illogical woman who's beginning to feel too much a part of that communications council. Why don't you tell me I'm an attractive young lady or ask me if I've ever been in love? Tell me how your planet Vulcan looks on a lazy evening when the moon is full. Vulcan has no moon, Miss Uhura. I'm not surprised, Mr. Spock. <laughs> I forgot. Yeah, I didn't put that in my notes, but that was a good, good <laughs> um, point of like a little bit of character development because we don't know much about either of them yet. And yet you're seeing they're like polar opposites completely. She just wants to socialize and, and chat and be, you know, exaggerative and stuff. And he's very like stern and serious and logical. Yeah, it shows the the computer brain Vulcan. I think uh, McCoy refers to him as like a computer or something like that several times, probably once in this episode. Um, and that Uhura being the woman that she is, is just very open and free about who she is and just wants to have a fun conversation with a guy that won't open up to her. And it was, it was kind of fun. I don't, I didn't remember that until I watched this episode this time. Yeah. Was, uh, and we, uh, it's nice to see, I know this is like the first episode, but it's nice to see that they're, they didn't quite give an introduction like some shows would do to each character where they walk them through a scene or something and you get to know one by one. Uh, but they are, you know, little by little, we're obviously going to get to to know these characters. So I kind of like that. Yeah, they they introduced them in the context of the of the conversations and the relationships that they already had with one another before the show started, which is a great way to start a show because it shows that it's a living, breathing world that we're being introduced to. and. It's so much better than just here's Spock. Yeah. He's sitting on the bridge. He has pointy ears and is logical. Yeah. It's like, no, throw him in there with the Hura who, like you mentioned, they're polar opposites and just see how the dichotomy of their characters work against each other. It's it's perfect. It's great. Yeah. I like seeing uh, uh, Spock in the captain's chair for a little while. <laughs> yeah. I think we see Spock in the captain's chair before we see kirk in the captain's chair which is i didn't even think of that that's i I don't that's funny (laughs) yeah so after that uh the crew beams back right i think yeah that was a scene before they beam back with the with the body and then they examine it uh eventually finding that it didn't have uh salt because you know it'd been uh taken away or whatever uh so they go back to the planet i believe to conduct their uh interrogation they want to ask questions of the doctor and his wife right uh doc yeah this time okay this time they uh bring down a couple more random crewmen <laughs> with them this time. It, I, i'm sure you can tell where this is gonna <laughs> go sacrifices there already yeah when kirk was talking to dr crater in this scene though he brought up he said one line that i had to put in my notes that i had to bring up and he says that he doesn't like mysteries mm-hmm. i thought that was odd too yeah, in the in the intro, in the cold open, or in the cold open, in the introduction of the show where they play the the opening credits, it he says it's to their continue their five year mission is to explore strange new worlds and to seek out new life and civilizations. Yeah, that's like the entire premise of the show, <laughs> and it's just like no, the lead guy doesn't like mysteries. <laughs> yeah, I think I think <laughs> I he should have worded weird. that differently. Like, uh, yeah, because mystery is kind of what they're seeking other planets for. But if it, exactly if it was 
It doesn't like. I don't like ominous threats. Yeah, or or lies <laughs> like uh, deceit or deception. Like that would be that'd yeah, be perfect because yeah. obviously somebody's not telling the truth out of this whole, you know, situation. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and the way he says uh, gives me a bellyache, and I got a beauty right now. I thought that was very like old school <laughs> terminology. It was pretty funny to hear. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's see. So they're talking to Dr. Crater, but they can't find Nancy. Uh, they don't know where she's at until they, they go out searching for her. We see that there's two more dead crewmen, um, but Nancy decides to impersonate one of them, Crewman Green. She takes his form, which is the first time we see that she can like choose to change shape or change her appearance, uh, at which point the rest of the crew finds the other dead body. She kind of redirects him. Oh, yeah, don't worry. I checked the rest of the ruins. And then they all beam up together. Yeah. So back to a point that you said at the beginning of the episode in the first scene. So now we've seen, uh, in quote air quotes, Nancy. Yeah. Change into uh, grooming green. But in the first scene, she was appearing as different women to each different person. So I, yeah, that is a little confusing. I didn't think about it until you had brought it up, but I kind of want to delve into that a little bit. <laughs> what is her ability here? Yeah. Does she have the ability to just, transform into whatever form she wants or is it uh she has the ability to camouflage herself as different people to different people is it like a a brain yeah wipe situation i mean what, what's going on <laughs> so i would like to think it's a little bit of both but i have a key a key factor of why so i think she is able to change shape and appearance uh so she would look like like she does uh green or like she looked like the older version of Nancy, the more believable age. Those are her physical appearances. But she also has a touch of telepathy where she's able to make you see her how she, how she wants you to see her based on your memories. Because she's able to obviously read people's minds and what they desire and whatnot to some extent. Uh, a little bit of empath- uh, empathic abilities. So like when uh, Kirk, I believe this is a sign that Kirk has higher mental capacity than the other guys in the room and the fact that he didn't see somebody young and pretty he saw the older version her natural shape-shifted form uh while the other two saw somebody that you know would lure them or or entice them so i think she has both that's a that's a good point i was chalking it up to being you know just <laughs> star trek lack of writing yeah yeah but no i i don't know if that's headcanon or if that's actually plausible that sounds plausible to me that that's probably what they were going for then yeah, yeah. i'll buy right. it I, but in that same sense it's like okay hey, these these are pretty advanced aliens uh or natives to that planet um but why why are they going extinct i know we don't talk about the yet, but they find out they're going extinct and if they're that smart why is it that just something as simple as salt can completely cripple their their race so I don't know. It sounds like they're very highly developed the way I explain that, but at the same time, they have extreme limitations on the other side. <laughs> but we'll yeah. see that in a lot of species, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like you said, back on the ship, they all beam aboard and uh, get this weird scene with uh, the fake Lieutenant Green trying to uh, take the salt off the food tray from the, the Yaleman who's got this food with the colored, different colored cubes and stuff on there. Uh, <laughs> I don't know this this whole scene seemed a little awkward like yeah. obviously we know at this point as the audience that the fake Lieutenant Green Nancy whatever you want to call it uh, wants salt and that it that thrives on salt 
Yeah, I noted this but as the, Stalker. Was just the whole this whole series of events was just Stalker walking along the ship, eyeballing everybody, trying to get somebody alone and cornered, or take their salt, or you know, kill them. <laughs> it was just pretty creepy <laughs> altogether. Uh, I love that corner them to take their salt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! In the middle of all that, they end up in I think it's Sulu's quarters. I don't know if it's a if it's like an arboretum or if it's personal quarters mm-hmm. or what, but he's sitting there eating and get to see more plants. And I, I, I like the, to me, it was kind of a callback to the, the plants in the, the first in the cage uh, <laughs> with the, the plants making the strange noises mm-hmm. and the man that <laughs> you're talking about the, the hand plant sticking out with the, what looks like a, yeah. a feathered glove or something. Yeah. That was some great practical effects, but the, the sound that it was making when it got, uh, <laughs> yeah. like scared by the fake Lieutenant Green. It was like a, a dolphin monkey sound that it was kind of scary. It's terrifying. Yeah, that would know? be an effective car alarm for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and the fact that that plant looked like it must have been a hand, you know, with a glove. I wanted it to grab somebody and maybe they're saving that for a future episode or something, but I figured like, okay, someone's going to lean in to smell it and it's going to like grab their neck or something like cool like that. But you know, we didn't see that yet. Hopefully that'll come up in the future. It'd <laughs> <laughs> be too exciting for me. Uh, this, uh, this whole uh, looking like somebody else, the creature disguising itself as somebody else and running around the ship, talking to other crew members goes on for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, he interacts or it interacts with Uhura disguised as a uh, as a Swahili male. Mm-hmm. So somebody that obviously Uhura at the time after after that conversation with Spock, she wanted somebody to connect with. And the creature sensed that and transformed into this to try to talk to her and yeah. convince her that. Uh, she should give him his, her salt, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And so I believe it seemed like he was somebody from her memories because she's saying he looks familiar and, you know, that I, I must think about you when I'm lonely or something like that. Right. Uh, so I, I think that is, that kind of ties into her. She must have some kind of uh, empath- empathic abilities or telepathy or something like that. So I didn't think it was specifically somebody from her, from Uhura's past that, he, that the creature impersonated, but more, like uh, the embodiment of something that she wants. Yeah. Like she thinks about her ideal person that she wants to, you know, connect with. She can't find it on the ship. So in her mind, she created this dude. Yeah. And that's who the creature transforms into. <laughs> she, she must be a little uh, less skilled than she thinks because this guy is not a social butterfly. He's not talking. He's just walking really <laughs> close and putting his hands up like he's ready to strangle her or something. <laughs> it's not very good. Social you know, sometimes... Sometimes all you want is somebody that's going to be there to listen. <laughs> you don't necessarily always need someone to talk True. to. And I don't judge. Some people want to be strangled every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Just very, very odd. <laughs> Some people want to be uh, want to see other people strangled by a flower with a hand growing out of it. So you never true. know. <laughs> yes. Okay. So uh, this kind of stalking goes along the ship for a little while. And eventually we see she comes to uh the doctor again he's in his quarters and surprised to see nancy she changes shape back to the original nancy um and then she uh 
is trying to get him to sleep. She wants him to calm down and relax. And he's all kind of worked up. And he says, you know, Kirk said I should take these pills. And she's like, oh, yeah, I think that's a great idea. So she convinces him to take sleeping pills where he lays down, gets in a good deep sleep, even though they're calling medical emergencies because they found bodies. Uh, he sleeps and then she's able to impersonate him without having to kill him and goes out on the, the ship as uh, the doctor. Right as uh, she, as the doctor, is leaving the quarters, I, th- I put in my notes that DeForest Kelly did a fantastic job of acting as the woman was, mm-hmm. but as McCoy. It's like th- the, the presence of mind that it took to act like McCoy, acting like the woman, acting like McCoy. <laughs> I, I had to write that down because it was actually for a first episode of a show, especially a show that turns out as campy as Star Trek kind of is it was it was really great acting it was really great acting by yeah. him yeah and I, I like they did put that one little key um action to kind of tie all the characters together that biting on the knuckle it just kind of is a giveaway for us to recognize okay whenever that's going on we know that is the original nancy or the the creature uh, yeah a little, a little visual cue so we're looking back on the planet now with uh kirk and spock looking for uh the craters and uh <laughs> the gun <laughs> i don't know if you oh yes i thought the same thing that i did <laughs> when uh mr creator shoots a, oh i don't know is when uh when kirk shoots a stun shot at mr creator the sound effect that came from it was it. like a old west kind of cowboy ricochet really cliche gun sound the the sound literally went at the end of it it's this it's a phaser i mean it's a it's a laser yeah, shot that was set to stun no I, I guess it wasn't set to particularly stun it was one quarter it was a one quarter shot i think he said set your phasers to one quarter or something along those lines mm-hmm. but that was that was pretty great i enjoyed that a lot yeah I, that's one thing that i think nowadays if they were to remaster it would be great to just change that sound effect a little bit it was a little too uh st- you know standing out but that was funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Kirk and Spock end up talking to Dr. Crater after that. And um, I don't know if I just heard this or if this is what I gleaned from the episode itself. But to me, it seemed like and I, Dr. Crater might have said it, but the that the real Nancy gave her life willingly to sustain the creature. Is that uh, was that true or did I just glean that I, out of nowhere? He, he did say that she understood. I don't think he said that she like sacrificed herself. He, she was buried up on the hill that took her. So I think she died from climbing the hill or at the top of the hill or there was a creature maybe at the top of the hill that killed her. Um, but and it was he said a year or maybe two ago. Um, but I don't think he specified that she like gave herself. I think she was with him and the fact they want to try to preserve these creatures. Once there were millions of them. Now there's one left. Nancy understood. Always in the past tense. Where's your wife? Where is she now? Dead. Buried up on the hill. It killed her. When? A year. Was it two? Yeah, so that kind of changes my entire outlook on this episode but <laughs> that, that that's what i i just i didn't know if that line was kind of setting up what star trek becomes you know mm-hmm. with the uh, especially with spock the needs of the many blah 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 etc cetera, etc cetera. we'll get to that but i 
didn't know if that's what they were going for, if it was implied, or if that's just where my brain decided it was going, and then I stuck with it. Well, so that is a good point. And regardless of how Nancy died, we see that Dr. Crater is willing to die to try to keep this creature alive. So that is, at least in his life, he's he's willing to sacrifice himself to save her. Yeah, and I saw that as like a, a testament to his wife's dying wish True. for that creature to live. Yeah was kind of the way that I interpreted it. So this creature took Nancy's form back then, I guess, for this last one or two years. And that the creatures need love just as much as they need salt. So that's a kind of a, an interesting, I don't know, interesting aspect that they need that social interaction. They need people to like them. So I think that's part of how they developed or why they have that, that empathy where they're able to read your mind and be kind of who you want them to be. Yeah, I sort of, when he said that, that they need love as much as they need salt, it, in my mind, it kind of made me relate them to like a succubus. Yeah. Like something that, or a, a siren or something similar to that effect that they needed. I didn't know if they needed the love as much as they needed the salt. To me, it was like the easiest way to get the attention of somebody to lure them in. Mm -hmm. But obviously, Crater would know more than I would personally about the creature's needs having lived with it for a couple of years on its own or on their own. Yeah. All right. So after this, we go to the ship and they, they brought crater up now that he's willing to talk and they have a kind of a round table meeting so he can explain to everybody, um, what, you know, what she is and pretty much how to catch her. You know, obviously he wants to catch her safely. Um, they want to do anything they can do to stop her. Uh, but after this meeting, he, uh, I think he, he was saying he's not willing to work with them. I can't remember. But then uh, they decide, they, that's what it was. They decided to take him to the medical bay to give him a truth serum. So he will just spit out all the, all the nitty gritty details, right? Yeah. I really hope that if truth serum, truth serum is a thing that they use in Star Trek, that they call it something else. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They go to the, the medical bay to, to do that. But before they, get there mccoy goes with them obviously but at that time mccoy is not mccoy it's it's the the creature the shapeshifter the salt succubus <laughs> <laughs> goes with them um we find out that it attacked spock and killed dr crater in the medical bay and that's when they figure out who everybody is for real uh mccoy comes to so after all that, though, she kills Dr. Crater after living with him for two years and impersonating his wife and, you know, they feed on love and everything. Why do you think she only now would be willing to kill him? Why didn't she kill him back on the planet when they were alone? I think she was cornered that she knew the jig was up okay. and the, the, that Dr. Crater was willing to, to live with that creature to ensure that it ensure its survival as long as they had salt. Yeah. Which was the entire reason that the Enterprise was there to begin with was to drop off salt. Mm. So I think that the creature would have been content living with Dr. Crater for, you know, until one of them died mm. naturally. Yeah. And I think uh, on the ship, I mean, there's a whole buffet of bodies. So I, I want to believe maybe she was trying to keep Crater alive and where he was as a resource for her to utilize. Um, so obviously he has the connections. She's just a person. He's a, a doctor, you know, there for Starfleet. So maybe she understood that if he died, she would just get offloaded to some other planet probably. Uh, but in that situation, maybe he could keep uh, 
providing salt and protecting her. But I don't know. Now that there's plenty of other people to feed on, there's no no need to keep him alive. Yeah, that's that's sort of what I I gathered from that. But yeah. it's it sort of cheapens the whole relationship that they had at the beginning of the episode. I yeah. thought. Well, it shows you it was one sided. He was he was very passionate about saving these the species, and the species doesn't really care so much about individual relationships. Apparently, more you know, it's more important that it gets the salt that it wants. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and we, we learn uh, briefly that uh, Spock's blood is different. We know from later episodes, actually, we know from a little bit on this, that his blood is actually green, not red. Uh, we see a little bit on his head. And then he explains that his, his people, his uh, species, developed in a different type of ocean than ours. So I guess that must mean there's not salt in his blood, or his, he says his blood cells are very different than ours. Uh, so I thought that was kind of interesting to see. Yeah, I I totally just skipped right past all of that. <laughs> I didn't even think. I was like, oh yeah, his 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 blood's green, and I just didn't even make a note of any of the reason why and how it pertained to the episode. <laughs> yeah. So after that, we move on to what I call the standoff. Right? She she finds Bones sleeping in his quarters because he took the sleeping pills. She wakes him up. Bones, Bones, you know you got to protect me. Everyone's here to kill me. And uh, Kirk follows her, uh, phaser drawn, and she's she's convincing Bones. She's pretty good at it. That uh, that. You know, they're trying to hurt her and she's innocent and Kirk's like, no, no, Bones, you don't understand. This is a creature. She's been killing everybody. And he hasn't really been, you know, involved uh, as much as they think he was because he was sleeping. Um, so the the creature attacks Kirk eventually. Bones is in a haze and doesn't know what to believe. Uh, he's holding the phaser. And we see that she does have, Kirk had mentioned previously that she must have a way to, to stop them before she gets to them. And we see that she does. When she stares him in the eyes and she's approaching him with her hands out, he freezes in place. So I think she has some kind of hypnotic ability or maybe it's part of her telepathy. She could just like freeze his brain. I don't know, but I, I, I'm glad they had that little uh, scene to kind of indicate that. Yeah, because even when Spock goes in there and says, no, this is the creature, you got to help me. And then (laughs) continues to just savagely smack smack her across the face again and again and again. Turns to McCoy and says, if this was Nancy, would she be able to take this? And yeah, obviously at that point, McCoy would know that, no, this is not Nancy. This is not the person I know. But because she did what she did and like hypnotized him, essentially. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, he wasn't able to do anything. About and if it. you think that, you know, double fist swinging uh, is looks cheap because it's not hitting her face or whatever, you got to realize we're not seeing the real body. We're seeing an illusion of what Nancy looks like. But when the creature is exposed, it's actually a little bit larger. So, you know, you got to imagine there would be face to fist contact if we could see, you know, what was actually present. I like that you're justifying. <laughs> I gotta the... defend. I gotta defend Star Trek as much as I can. <laughs> yeah, I hear you, man. Yeah. <laughs> when we do see the creature, though, the uh, can you can you defend the costume? Uh, it was. I, I could defend the poor person that was wearing that costume. That was got to be so <laughs> heavy. I mean, just thick layers of you know rubber and silicone and tons of makeup. I can imagine that must have been you know four hours just to get all that on every morning or that morning uh, for shooting. It was it was definitely rough. Uh, it was just like a thick rubber mask. It didn't have any kind of movement and details in the face that would that would work at all. Um, 
so yeah i mean the first episode of star trek or you know technically kind of second episode but i gotta give them some slack that there's maybe they just didn't have much to go on or <laughs> but yeah yeah it was I, I i don't think it was it was as bad as I just made it sound like it was. I, I have seen worse costumes in the nineties with like power Rangers. So True. I'm not going to give it that, that hard of a time. And it did have these little suction cup things all over it that made it clear that that's how the creature was sucking all the salt from the, from the people that it was killing. So it was, it, it worked. Yeah. It got the point across that it's, it's not a human or a humanoid in any way. And that it's this terrifying creature that just literally sucks the salt out of you. Yeah. Um. So we see, yeah, she's a, she's attacking Kirk. Uh, Spock fights her off. Eventually, Bones, uh, when he's able to see the true form of the creature, he musters up the strength to shoot her. Uh, some point, he must have changed his phaser to kill because that was a killing shot. She falls to the ground and you know slowly dies. Um. Yeah, there's no ricochet on that. <laughs> yeah, no ricochet. Uh, and then we move on. Uh, <laughs> you see later on the on the bridge that they are setting course and leaving the planet. So um, I don't know what they did with the body. I don't know what they did with Crater. I'm sure this is all in a formal report, but uh, yeah, it was pretty 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 quick ending once we find out what the creature is and creature shot and dead. Yeah, it was also bleak ending too. Was the the contrast from the intro with bones and uh, with mccoy and kirk versus the outro yeah. with bones and kirk was just they were very cheerful they're playful at the beginning and now they all have these dire looks on their faces and kind of shows that you know, what they do affects them emotionally affects them personally and that not everything's going to be lighthearted in space. Yeah, and they do, uh, he does reference like, yeah, I was just thinking about the buffaloes and that makes us kind of recall like, oh yeah, they they were successful and they protected themselves from this dangerous creature, but then it's like, oh wait, that last shot, that did just end an entire species that, you know, is now extinct. So that's kind of yeah. sad. <laughs> and that in, in at least the way that I gathered the episode, it was a species that other people had willingly get, given their lives to see this one creature live. Yeah. So it, it was even that much more emotionally impactful, I thought. Yeah, yeah it's kind of a, a sad ending, but it uh yeah, it told a good story at least. Yeah, I I didn't have any real negative reactions to this episode outside of there was one part that the two dudes were standing in the corridor and looking at uh the the yeomans and how would you like her to be your personal yeoman? Yeah. Other than like little stuff like that that really doesn't yeah. belong in TV anymore. And I tried to, I, I didn't have any I tried to chalk that scene up to they needed an excuse for that awkward uh you know green Nancy posing as green to come by and follow her. So they wanted to like uh, yeah, I don't know. It was a little bit kinda awkward the way they, they shouldn't have, you know, been ogling her like that, but uh, yeah, if they were going for a way to justify that, they would have just I, I think they should have just not had anybody there and just have the fake Lieutenant Green or whatever follow her from the shadows. Yeah, yeah it was a good episode. <laughs> I I I love the introduction to to the episode with Captain Kirk and McCoy and the friendship that they have obviously had for a long time between them and uh the introduction of Spock and Uhura especially. That was fantastic. But we also see Sulu in this episode. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and Yeoman, is it Yeoman Rand? Is that her name? Um, I think so. The one that Green was chasing. Yeah. Uh, a lot of a lot of people that'll be coming back into the show. So yeah, it was it was overall a good episode. Yeah, if I could improve on something, I think it would have been the sets that they used on the planet surface. It was like ninety percent styrofoam and ten percent paint. I think. <laughs> so it just the the big blocks and yeah, I think they could have easily put a little bit more into those sets. Uh, yeah, it makes you wonder what their budget was yeah, like. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, they already <laughs> they already sunk a lot of money into a previous uh, pilot, so this was round two. I'm sure they didn't have a lot of money to play with. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I mean, it was it was a really good all around episode. That and like we mentioned, the costume for the salt vampire, though to be fair, it was only being used for pretty much one shot, one scene. So if they were to do a lot of work and and invest a lot into making it to where the face could move and everything, it, it wouldn't really be uh, probably worth it in the long run. Yeah, that goes back to the budget again. That makes a lot of yeah. sense. Um, all right, so what would you say, and I'm, I'm hoping we have different ones, I think we do, but what would you say the moral or message of the story is? So to me, it was trying to figure out, is trying to make the viewer decide what's more important between one's personal, one's own life and the existence of life somewhere else it was more or less how I got that. Because um, I still, I'm going to... This is just in my view how the episode went. Uh, the original Nancy creator gave her life to ensure that the last of these salt succubus creatures could live and wouldn't go extinct. And in my mind, that was the crux of the episode was when I learned that, even though I guess I didn't. But <laughs> when I learned that, that's kind of when it was telling me about the direction of the rest of the episode. and it. Uh, heavily weighed on the ending of the episode when McCoy was forced to kill it at the end. Hmm. I, I definitely see that. It's a, a, my, and mine is very not. Yeah. Pretty similar to that. At least uh, my message or moral was uh, being too close to a situation can cause you to be blind to its true nature and gravity. Um, mostly for the relationship Dr. Crater had with the, with the creature. Um, because like you, I, at first I thought that, that uh, this creature or one of these creatures did kill his wife. But if nothing else, you know, he lost his wife. And then he lost, or he didn't he lose, but Starfleet lost four other crewmen who died to this creature while he's still trying to protect it uh, or help it, you know, evade them. And you could work with them to try to capture it safely and humanely. And that, that might be like a, if he worked with them more, they might be able to catch it and it you know, not go extinct. They didn't have to shoot it, but because he was, you know, more worried about the creature than, than human life. Um, you know, it came down to a, a final battle that, that got hurt, you know, the creature killed. Um, uh, so yeah, that was my, my moral was being too close to the situation, uh, makes you blind to its nature and gravity. Also, uh, because of Bones' emotional connection with her, he couldn't pull the trigger when he found out that she was killing people who are the salt vampire. So, I, as I put in my notes, so that's another one where just, you know, being too close uh, kind of skews your perspective. Yeah, I, that might have actually been, now that I hear you say it, <laughs> what they were actually going for with the episode. But I think that's what's going to be great about going through all these episodes 
is that we are able to have differing views on them, especially after, you know, the episodes were they aired <laughs> in the 60s. So it's been like almost 60 years since they were originally aired. And we're going to have these differing opinions and differing views on them. And I love discussing this, especially when it, as it pertains to Star Trek, because Star Trek is one of the most optimistic shows out there. And when you have a darker story that we both got different things out of, it leads to these, these pretty cool conversations, I think. Yeah, definitely. One thing I wanted to note, I don't know if you, you uh, realized it in the episode, at one point, Kirk mentioned that their duty is to preserve human life. Did you, did you remember that? Like their, their mission, I believe, was is uh, first and foremost, I think it was when they went down to the planet to confront or find uh, the doctor and they got into that phaser battle. Uh, but when he's... I vaguely recall yeah, that. When he said that, I, I realized that he's saying human life and not all life. And I, I don't think, I think later in the show... They must revise that because I'm pretty sure I know, at least from Voyager, Captain Janeway, she will sacrifice her entire ship to save one alien. So <laughs> I know their their uh, their mission or Starfleet's uh, you know perspective of it is you have to save all living creatures, not necessarily just humans. But uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. I think that I think that might have just been a a, a writing error. Yeah. Or maybe short-sightedness in the same way that they say uh, to boldly go where no man has gone before. I think it was just something that was said back then that True. they didn't fully know how to express what they meant. Yeah. Like in the next generation, it's to boldly go where no one has gone before. Yeah. I, I kind of view that as the same thing to preserve the life of every human, to preserve the life of everything that lives. I, I think that that's kind of what they meant by it. They just didn't write it correctly. <laughs> In my mind, that's how that yeah, goes. Yeah, I get you. That makes sense. Well, uh, let us know what you guys thought of this episode and what you thought the moral was and uh, how you thought the even the, the, the writing and the special effects and costumes and stuff go. We want to hear from you about this. So hit us up on Twitter at GeekFreaksPod. And we will be back next week as we look at episode two, Charlie X. Away team to transport a room, two to beam up. Yeah.